0: You are listening. Dunn commentary, the home of conversations and clarity. I'm your host, Marty Duran. In season one, I told you about my wife's cookie business, Sweet Life Cookies, and I have decided to keep her as a sponsor for season two. You need to buy some cookies from Sweet Life Cookies: uh, original chocolate chip, double chocolate mint, white chocolate macadamia nut. Uh, she's even added an M&M variety, which is very popular with kids, as you know. Um, half dozens or dozens can be shipped anywhere in the in the United States. Uh, If you're in the Middle Tennessee area, specifically if you're in the Nashville area, you can get the cookie trays, three dozen size, six dozen size. uh, That will meet all your office and party needs. Go to MySweetLifeCookies.com to place an order, or if you're interested in a tray, there's contact information there where you can give her the information about your get-together. Delivery is available in a limited range as well. So go to MySweetLifeCookies.com. Check everything out. They are the best cookies in the world, and I ain't lying. Normally, at this time on Uncommentary, I would do the Welcome to Uncommentary intro, but this episode is almost a mix between a special episode and a regularly scheduled episode because uh, Alan Cross and I had had a conversation probably two months ago about the subject of thinking biblically about immigration. And things change so quickly in that world that uh, he texted me maybe two weeks after that and said, hey, maybe we want to redo this because things have changed. And now it's been several weeks after that, and we would have had to have redone the episode anyway, I think. Uh, So I am glad to welcome uh, Pastor Alan Cross to Uncommentary.
1: Good to be with you, Marty. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, now there are a lot of people on Twitter who are growing, uh, in their familiarity with you and, uh, some readers of the New York times where you are an op-ed contributor. Uh, but for those, uh, those three people who don't net, don't yet know your name, why don't you do a, a little bio for everybody?
1: Yeah, sure. It's a lot more than three, but, um, uh, yeah, I, uh, um, am a pastor, uh, a writer, um, uh, writing on uh, Southern issues related to religion and race and, uh, um, immigration and just kind of seeing how all those things that, that tie together been in montgomery alabama for almost 20 years uh uh as a uh, first as a pastor and then working with the montgomery baptist association and uh, the evangelical immigration table uh, as an immigrant advocate and uh working on racial reconciliation and just recently uh i'm moving picking up my family i'm moving to california to pastor out in the san francisco bay area and uh uh, we'll see where, uh, where that leads, but hopefully stay connected with um with a lot of this work that I've been doing as well.
0: Excellent. Um, I didn't know you were in the Bay Area. I thought you were farther south for some reason, but uh, but good for you. We're excited about that opportunity. Um, immigration is uh, I mean, it's going to be a big deal through the 2020 election and beyond, probably Um why don't you give us a lay of the land kind of the brief history you know, you don't have to go all the way back to the 1700s and how people didn't want the Irish to come over or whatever. Um, <laughs> but maybe like post, uh, the, the recent thing that comes to my mind is, uh, after the Vietnam war with the uh, Vietnamese immigrants, the boat people and all that. Uh, if mm-hmm. you can start in that general area or another point that you feel is valid to give us some context, uh, set the table for what we're going to be talking about.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm so contextual, so I always go back um, further and further and further until you know. We're,
0: In the beginning, God created up. the heavens and the earth.
1: Exactly right. So, yeah, I mean, all my thinking ends up, you know, finally end up there, and and so then uh, and then I I work back. But but uh, thanks for giving me some parameters on that. <laughs> um, it uh, uh yeah uh, you know the idea of America as a nation of immigrants it's it, it's one of those half truths that we tell ourselves, um, you know, it is partially true. We can all trace our our heritage back uh, to someone who came here unless you're a Native American Mm -hmm. um, uh, or unless you're an African American who was who was forced here. They didn't immigrate here. That that was that was forced migration. Um, But, uh, you know, for for everyone else, um, uh, an ancestor um, immigrated here. And uh, you know, we need to think about those distinctions and how what happened to Native Americans, what happened to African Americans, how all of that uh, plays into this, because it is part of the discussion. And that's why I think you can't separate uh, race, um, nativism, and immigration. It's, it, it's all one thing that goes together. And if you look at it that way and you go back into how America has, 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 has welcomed immigrants, has restricted immigration – um, all of those factors come into play. So, so really, um, after the Civil War um, is, is is when America begins to talk about immigration restriction with the Chinese Exclusion Act in the 1880s, uh, because Chinese were coming and they were working on the Transcontinental Railroad and they were supposedly taking jobs and there were economic issues. And then you have this a surge of immigration from Southern and Eastern Europe in the 1890s, uh, early 1900s which then there's a reaction against that as well, which then leads to the 1924 um, Immigration Act that uh, uh, built off of this idea of national quotas to where really the whole idea was that only people from Northern Europe and from, from England uh, could come basically. Um, it it, um, it restricted Southern and Eastern Europe and people from other countries. And th- that lasted pretty much until 1965 when we had um, um, an Immigration Act that, that, uh, uh, opened up the doors uh, uh, for people to come from all over the world. So this is just a really quick thumbnail sketch sure, um, sure. of what, I, and so um, you know in 1965 you have someone like Governor Marsh and Voting Rights Act. You have America dealing with racism, um, institutional racism, and they all and we also dealt with immigration. Um, the way we deal with immigration, the way that immigration has flowed, it's always connected to race. It's always been connected to, to who is really an American, who has full rights as an American. Um, Who belongs here? Who does this country belong to? And so lots of times people try to separate the issues out and say, well, you know, we have racial division in the past. And this definitely affects Um, African-Americans. Martin Luther King talked about this. Others have talked about this, that immigration has not always been good for African-Americans because immigrants come in and they might be at the bottom of the totem pole. But over time, they become part of america and you know that uh, the idea of of whiteness expands and then it it incorporates immigrants from different places whereas african-americans continue to be um you know not fully um accepted into overall society and and so these discussions have been happening for a long time um how does race play in what is america and um and uh, all that and so it's really um you know, the idea that we are a nation of immigrants is true, but there's a, we're also a nation that has rejected immigrants um, and then at different times welcomed them. And so post-1965, we move into this time period where we want to deal with all this. We want to deal with racism. We want to deal with exclusion. And we welcome people. And then people start coming from all over the world. And it wasn't totally foreseen by the writers of um, of, the, of the 65 Immigration Act. But what happened was you, you had people that start coming from Africa and from from Central and South America and from India and... Yeah, places like that and so the composition of America begins to change pretty radically um, and that goes on for 40 or 50 years um, until you get to 1980s and 90s um, and there's a desire to deal with illegal immigration because there are people coming illegally and there are reasons for that uh, and then now we get into the 2000s and 2010s, and there's a desire to deal with immigration overall because there's fear or there's concern about uh, the future makeup of America and these people coming are going to change America, and we have to protect Western civilization and, and all those things. So that's just kind of a quick um, thumbnail sketch. We, we have welcome immigrants, we are a nation of immigrants, but with every wave of immigration, there's been a corresponding reaction against it. Uh, uh, based on fear, what happened, you know, who are these people? What if they change us? Uh, who gets to decide what America is? And so this is an ongoing conversation that we've been, and sometimes a full-out fight that we've been having yeah. for 200 years, yeah. you
0: know? Well, before we go any farther, probably we ought to, um, lay down some, some differences in the types of immigration. Um, th- there's a lot of use of the word immigrant, that's just a single use for every variety of of green card or refugee status or everything like that. So why don't you run down the definitions for the the top most popular or most most common scenarios uh in our immigration process. I guess including those who come into the country illegally.
1: Yeah, so we have um we have uh you know, immigrants who come legally uh, there are all types of different ways that they do that on um, different visas. So it's just a plethora of, of ways that people come. Um, if you want to stay, you know, permanently, you end up applying for a green card, which is legal permanent residency, and uh, and you're able to then be on the pathway to citizenship if you choose, or if you don't commit a crime, you know, you can stay as long as you want. Um, so that's you know kind of the goal. Then we have uh, you know folks who come in different ways, which are you know one is the refugee system, which has been basically uh, um, curtailed significantly over the past couple of years, uh, from eighty five thousand to to thirty thousand, and then we haven't even met those numbers. But the refugee um, you know, refugees come from UN refugee camps, and they go through the refugee resettlement process, which is a pretty extensive vetting process. Um, from people around the world. And then you have, uh, you have asylum seekers. Uh, this is something that people become aware of more. So recently it's been, it's been, uh, allowed for decades now. And really the whole idea behind asylum came out, um, came after World War II. Uh, uh, yesterday was the 80th anniversary of the SS St. Louis that came to the United States full of Jewish refugees and the right. United States right. tur- uh, turned them away. And, and uh, most of the people on that boat were then killed in the Holocaust. And so after World War II, the United States began to rethink, you know, how do we welcome, how do we accept and give refuge to people around the world who are fleeing violence and persecution and, you know, so we don't do what we did before. And so there was a rethinking of all that. And that's where the whole... Perspective on refugees and asylum seeking and the UN Declaration of Human Rights and the United States really led in that because we said never again, mm. you know, we, we don't want to go through this mm. again where we turn a blind eye to human suffering. And um, and so people have been able to come and, and, and declare asylum uh, based on certain criteria. And then you go through a process where you're able to be legalized after that. Uh, and that's a lot of what's happening now at the southern border with people coming from Central America. And they're and they're claiming asylum uh, based on persecution and violence and not being protected. Uh, some of them are getting that. A lot of them aren't getting asylum. They're they're being rejected. But then you have people who uh, you know who come on visas. They come legally. Uh, they come on travel visas and they overstay their visas. I think forty percent of undocumented immigrants in the United States today are, are people who came legally.
0: So that and you, mean, you say forty percent. Forty percent. Okay. Yeah
1: of the 11 million undocumented immigrants are people who came here legally. So they didn't, you know, uh, come across the Southern border. Yeah, climb over uh, the wall. yeah. Yeah. There is no wall high enough that will keep people from flying into the country. Legally <laughs> and, uh, and then, um, you know, overstaying their visa. And so that's a huge thing. You know, visa overstays are, are a big component. And then you have, uh, uh, the dreamers, uh, those are people who were brought here illegally as as uh, children, mm-hmm. and then they grew up here in the United States, and uh, uh, they're kind of considered a separate category because they were brought here or sent here as minors, and we don't hold minors responsible for the decisions that adults make for them, mm-hmm. especially many didn't even know that they came here illegally. I, I, I have friends who are dreamers who were brought here at one month old, at two months old, and wow. they didn't know they were legally until they were you know 13 14 16 years old trying to get a driver's license and their parents finally have the talk with them wow. you know about about um how they got here and and how their life is not going to be what they thought it was going to be um so you know uh, you have uh uh and that's where the whole daca uh, mm-hmm. situation is where there's been there have been attempts to do something for dreamers to help them uh be able to get legal but then that's opposed by people who have called that amnesty and
0: that's you know, deferred, like that. deferred, so, deferred action for children of something. Is that what this DACA stands for? Uh,
1: deferred, yeah. Deferred action for childhood arrivals. That's right. Is that's what, right. DACA, is what DACA stands for. And that was, uh, uh something President Obama did in uh, 2012 where he made a way for dreamers who qualified, uh, based on when they came and, uh, their educational status and, and, and uh, they haven't committed crimes to be able to qualify for, um, Basically, the ability to work and go to school, right. and, uh, things like that. Right. Um, so that's been considered controversial uh, as far as how do we solve the Dreamer, the Dreamer issue. And so uh, you have all of these different groups. There are more. Um, there is. Uh, there's even a group of, uh, of 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 people who were adopted internationally. International adoptees who were adopted before 2000, and their parents didn't know that they also had to. To um, apply for a, a, a citizenship document. They right. adopted them legally. American right. parents adopted them, didn't do the the second piece of paperwork because they didn't know they had to. Congress recognizes this in 2000, passes a bill that says when you're um, adopted internationally, you become an American citizen, uh, you know, automatically because your parents, uh, or something along those lines. Or there's probably some nuance there. But they didn't grandfather in the 30,000 or 30 plus thousand who Did
0: it had already been affected. Wow
1: that already happened to, uh, before 2000. So we now have over 30,000 undocumented immigrants who were adopted as babies and children internationally before 2000 who can't get legal. Um, nice. and they're living here um, in the shadows and they're, and they're considered, you know, to be an illegal immigrant. And, um, and so Congress has been trying to pass that law every, every year of the last few years has been, Bipartisan bill, adoptee citizenship bill that comes up in Congress and it never gets passed, wow. and, and it you know it's things like that. It's like, can we help these people who were adopted as babies yeah. and brought and there was a paperwork snafu or, or or an oversight and and they're now you know they can't function in the United States, so and they have nowhere to go, you know, so type of thing. So you have all these different categories of, of people. So whenever you hear that, uh, you know, whenever you hear illegal immigrant, that doesn't necessarily mean a twenty-five year old you know, guy coming across the border, you know, um, Mm -hmm. you know, just to work. It could be a lot of different people, human trafficking, um, you know, people who have, you know, forced to come, children who were brought here, who've now grown up here. I mean, there are all types of different groups of people that 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 can encounter or visa overstates as well.
0: Um, You're listening to Uncommentary with my guest, Alan Cross, and we're talking about thinking biblically about immigration. And we'll be back right after this. So here are three ways that you can support Uncommentary. If you'd like to give a one-time gift of support, go to paypal.me slash uncommentarypod. That's paypal.me slash uncommentarypod. And you can do that there one time for as little as a buck. So uh, take the opportunity to do that. If you'd like to become a patron and be on a monthly donation, you can go to patreon.com uncommentary. And for as little as $2 a month, you can be a regular patron for Uncommentary. There's some gift levels there with some stickers and mugs and feel free to choose the one that best suits your budget. The third way is by using my Amazon shop. So that's amazon.com slash shop slash Marty Duran. amazon.com slash shop slash Marty. Marty Duran. Most of the books from the authors that I have interviewed are there as well as some that I just recommend for your reading pleasure. Uh, you get the same low Amazon price and it generates a commission to me which helps support Uncommentary. So I hope you'll take advantage of one of these three because I couldn't do it without you. Now back to this episode of Uncommentary. Uh, We're back with Alan Cross. Uh, Dude, what is that whole gang of eight thing? I remember uh, it seems like that was like one of the last real attempts uh, at at major immigration reform. It kept coming up during the last election cycle, um, and it it got busted somehow or another. And then uh, one of the sponsors who was running for president, or at least one of the sponsors who were running for president, uh, his his opponents on the campaign trail kind of turned that against him. Uh, What was that all about?
1: Yeah, that was, uh, a Rubio was, was one of the senators. So you had four Democrat senators and four Republican senators. Um, uh, Lindsey Graham was one of them, McCain, uh, on the Republican side. I, I don't remember all of them. It was 2012. Uh, I know D- Dick Durbin. Um, I, th- I think Lamar Alexander from Tennessee, one of your uh, senators yeah. Um, yeah, was, uh, I think those were the four Republicans and then you had, uh, uh, four Democrats as well. And so they, uh, uh, worked on a, on a bill in 2012 that would have really effectively solved most of this. Uh, it would have provided over $40 billion in border security. Um, it would have, uh, revamped the immigration system. It would have provided a pathway to legalization for the undocumented immigrants who qualified and who met criteria. Uh, you know, it would, it was a holistic plan to, to really solve this. And and it, and it passed through this, uh, through the, through the Senate with like 67 votes. I mean it, it was really very, I mean, I mean you never see anything like this pass in the Senate with that kind of support now. Um, but then uh, a John Boehner in the House would never allow it to come for a vote. It would have passed in the House too and wow. And so much of this that we've had to deal with over the past seven years would not be an issue now. Um, you know we'd have we'd have border security, we'd yeah. have you know revamped immigration laws. Uh, things would be a lot better, but you had people on the far right who were yelling amnesty, amnesty, and it wasn't amnesty, but that's what they were saying, and yeah. open borders and all this, and so that that scuttled it. And Republicans feared um, backlash from the far right, and so then when Rubio ran for president in 2016, he was attacked for it, so he had to renounce it and say America isn't ready for this. And but really, um, it was it was a smaller number of people on the right who who were very angry about the idea of the 11 million becoming.
0: Citizens legal. Yeah. Um, or legalized. Um, so let's talk for a minute about border security. There's a couple of things. Um, every person who is uh, involved in immigration reform or as immigration proponent, uh, talks about the necessity of border security. Uh, I think it's a given that most people aren't talking about, uh, you know, building a wall through the middle of the, uh, of, you know, the North, North Carolina islands where the, you know, the lighthouses are and whatnot. Uh, and, and nobody's talking about, you know, stringing electric barbed wire across the Canadian border. Everybody's talking about the Southern border because that's where most people perceive the, uh, the greatest amount of the problem is. Uh, but most people who talk about border security don't talk about what that would entail. Uh, we know that the administration says multiple different things, Uh, Trump himself has said multiple different things on what what a wall would consist of, where all it might be built. Uh, There is no consistent messaging from the administration, in my opinion. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, ideation from uh, immigration reform proponents. So when people who are like yourself uh, say, yes, we need to secure the border, what in your mind does that mean?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, for me personally, I don't, I don't want anyone coming here illegally. I don't think it's good for, for them. I don't think it's good for the country. Um, you know, uh, it's, it affects children, you know, it puts, it sets people back when they come. So if there, if there are ways for people to come legally uh, to be processed, to be able to, to apply for work visas, uh, you know, to be able to, to, you know we know who's coming, and there are security issues as as well. Uh, I I've been to the border three times in the past the past nine months, uh, from uh, San Diego, Tijuana to Nogales in Arizona, then El Paso, and I've I've been up to the border. i I've seen. Uh, how people are are coming through and mm-hmm. and you know and I've, and I've said all along that a wall is is needed in some places um especially urban areas uh if you don't have a wall in san diego and tijuana you have people jumping a back fence and and they're you know they can go back and forth and we have no idea who's coming you know right. so right. And, and it would be chaos and so if if you have a wall to create order and to create uh orderly processing and for people to to facilitate people coming the right way and then you use it strategically in places. I'm, I, you know, I think it's a good tool. It's definitely not effective as a, as a catch all one size fits all solution that will stop illegal immigration or drug smuggling or human trafficking because people, you know, they find other ways. I mean, the vast majority of drugs come through ports of entry and they come through, you know, trucks and vehicles that we don't have the technology to, to really figure out what's going on. So, so um,
0: when we're talking <laughs> about border security from a, um, I'm going to use the word reasonable because I don't think a 2200 mile wall is reasonable. I think that's not reasonable. Uh, But if we're talking about border security from a reasonable perspective, I I think about the, uh, the Congressman from Texas whose district has the longest single connection with the Southern border of any other single district. I think it is in in the entire United States. He has more border than any Uh, other single district.
1: yeah, Will heard. It's like a 800 miles. Yeah,
0: so a third, over a third of the whole border is in his district. And he's been allowed to anybody who will listen to him that a wall through the entire length of the border is not the solution, that there has to be a combination of actual physical barrier, um, strategic uh, sur- surveillance, and then uh, what I, I guess I would just call uh, new technology or advanced technology. I guess that would be drones and those kinds of things. Um, right, right. portable portable stands, which I've seen in Arizona, uh, you know, uh, not rangers, but border, border security folks who have stands that will fit in the back of a pickup truck, I guess, and they can drive to a place, they can set it up, then they get a several-mile yeah. view from the top of that, and they can move it to a different right. location. So those kinds of things are what come to mind when I hear a reasonable uh, announcement or a reasonable discussion of, we should secure the border, not a 2,200-mile 2, wall. So what is the holdup, in your opinion, uh, on the kind of legislation that would get through that would do that rather than, you know, putting some concrete guy in business for this generation and his great-great-grandchildren from all the concrete that would have to be sold to build a 2,200-mile 2, wall?
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think that when it comes to immigration, uh, we're not serious about solving problems. We use it as a, I mean, both sides use it. But, um, you know, the last few years, uh, you know, since you know, President Trump came on the campaign trail, uh, you know, using this issue, it's 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 been a semantic rhetorical uh, club that's been used. The so people, it's easy to chant, build a wall, you know, and that's what resonates in people's minds. And they don't know. Uh, People don't understand what is needed to actually secure the border and and what would actually be way more cost effective, but they want something permanent and people want something that can't be moved or taken down. Uh, People don't trust, um, you know, if Democrat, um, if there's a Democrat president and you have a, um, a virtual wall with technology and manpower and drones and all that, you know, that can be pulled back, they think. So a lot of people think there's a conspiracy to flood the United States with undocumented immigrants so that you can eventually change the... You know,
0: voter voting it. composition.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so there's just a lot of fear that gets manifested or, or gets stirred up uh, on the right uh, that that keeps people in a constant state of we don't trust anything other than a physical barrier that we can see. And we know that that'll take care of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it won't take care. Again, 80 percent – yeah, I think it's over 80 percent of illegal drugs come through ports of entry. We have a million people a day that cross the border legally mm-hmm. through ports of entry, going back and forth through, for work, and, and they come legally. Mm-hmm. We can't shut that down. It's hundreds of billions of dollars in economic um, output that goes back and forth across the border. It would absolutely devastate the economy of the United States if we shut down the border completely. And that's why you know President Trump has threatened a few times, and, and people step up and say you can't do that, and he yeah. backs down because – he then understands the effect it would have, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of jobs and all this. And so, a lot of it is just people, not, you know, one, they don't know, they don't understand. A wall is a simplistic symbol of, of border security. But you talk to any Republican in Congress when when they say build a wall, they mean what Will Hurt is basically proposing: physical wall in some places, virtual wall in other places. This this interconnected. Uh, matrix of security that deals with ports of entry that deals with airports that you know is is uh you know uh, tracking visa overstays it's a holistic system and that's even what i think president trump means i mean to be fair to him well i'm I'm not trying to be fair because he's used this um poorly but even even when he was running for president he he was quoted and said i don't mean a wall like from from you know from brownsville to san diego that's not what i mean i mean you know uh, physical barriers. Well, if you're, a, Repu- so- if
0: you're a Republican who happens on this podcast, let me encourage you strongly to stop saying build a wall if you don't mean build a wall. Find better right. terminology that communicates to people like me who think a 2200 mile wall is a stupid idea, but think an interconnected matrix, as Alan just said, of security um, products or security steps is a great idea. Uh, get yep. your terminology in order so you can communicate what it is rather than just using uh, soundbite terminology to keep things or with the effect of which is to keep things divided.
1: Right. And and, and it makes you wonder, do we really want to solve this? You know? Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, it, and it, I've been talking about the right and Republicans because that's who's in power now. But I mean, you can, you know, turn this around with Democrats as well. When, you know, when Obama and Democrats had had full control of the White House and Senate and house for two years. They didn't do, I mean, they didn't solve this either. And so, you know, a case can be made that both sides are almost, you know, they use this yeah. right. Uh, just like the abortion debate is yeah. used as, as well um, by both sides, but they use this. And, and so the rest of us are, you know, get get, get tossed around with this issue. And then immigrants are, are, are obviously people who are, are dramatically affected mm. by the whole thing. So, all right, let's shift yeah.
0: over to, um, to kind of a Christian response. You're a pastor. I'm a pastor. Uh, a lot of the people that we know that have an interest in this subject uh, are uh, followers of Jesus. Uh, many of whom, uh, you know, care for genuinely care for people. They love people. They want to see people do well. They want to see, you know, them serving God and knowing God. Um, whose political outlooks might differ, and some might differ because of bad information. Some might differ because, uh, you know, there's a, a little of a, a distinction between how they view their their Christian walk and how they view, you know, kind of a political presence and all that kind of thing. Uh, But the reality is there are a lot of people who are believers who are viewing this as an opportunity. Uh, God's bringing the nations to America in, in the words of one Um, and so we have a responsibility and an opportunity to get the gospel to them. So talk a little bit about a Christian response to this immigration crisis, what, what you've witnessed in some churches. I know this is like your, your heartbeat for the whole thing is right in here. I know this is right down your alley and you can talk for two years, Mm -hmm. try not to. Um, (laughs) but, but talk I mean, talk some about what's going on, what can be done, a great, you know, a good, solid biblical outlook, uh, and then, you know, maybe a step or two about what people can do, um. Application-wise,
1: yeah, you know, I I started in on this uh, seven years ago or so when I first became aware of what was going on, and you know, my first thought was was about evangelism and about the gospel, and you know, oh, these people are coming from all over the world, so we can share the gospel with them, mm-hmm. and I, I didn't realize that the majority of them are Christians who are coming here. Yeah, um, you, you know, so. Uh, and, and and many of them are evangelical Christians. I was I was just in El Paso and Las Cruces, New Mexico, and end of April. And I was told, uh, by three different sources working with the migrants that depending on the wave that comes through between 50 and 75% of the migrants from Central America are evangelical Christians that are, are, are fleeing violence and persecution. Mm -hmm. Many of them being persecuted and targeted by cartels because their faith makes them vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, there is, 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 was what they're being told. And so, you know, that really, you know, changed the perspective. Um, you know, that knowledge has changed the perspective for me, um, that, you know, we tend to see people who are foreigners as objects of the gospel, right? Yeah. You know, we can show the gospel to them instead of thinking, well, perhaps God is sending people here who are believers to revive us uh, and and then also to test us how we how we receive people. So I I, I began to move away from from my first motivation on this being sharing the gospel with people, which we should do um, and, and which I want to do. But I moved to more of a how do we love our neighbor And how do we receive people, whether they are Muslims or Hindus or, uh, you know, no religion at all, or whether they're evangelical Christians? Because as we do that, as we open up our hearts and our homes and our churches and receive people and bless people, something gets activated in us through biblical hospitality, through love for neighbor. And then God moves in that, you know. And so, and it's also a test. Uh, Zechariah 7 is a great uh, chapter that explains this, that how you receive the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the sojourner. Um, that God commands us to to minister to them and welcome them and receive them, and if we don't, if we if we turn away from that, our hearts become hard. Uh, the ESV says "diamond hard," and so then God um, uh, will send a whirlwind and uh, and and will you know basically scatter us because we haven't done what we're supposed to do. So, um, how we receive people is the first thing, and that is a um, and that is a picture of our own understanding of who God is and how He called us out, and so we reflect His His salvation to us and his love for us by how we love other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and not having evangelism hang at the end of that uh, rope, you know, to where we just love people for who they are made in God's image, where we minister to them, we love them and we bless them. And then of course, as we get to know them build a relationship or have opportunity, we share the gospel with them um, because that's, you know, what we believe. And, or they and, share and it and with us. We, or they share it with us. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly right. You know, they share it with us. And, and, and so seeing this from more, God loves people. God loves the sojourner. It's all throughout scripture, Leviticus nineteen thirty-three and 34, all types of places, which is, you know, the foundation of, of the great commandment um, of love your neighbor. That passage with the uh, with the parable of the Good Samaritan, it's all over the Bible. This, uh, this idea that God wants us to welcome and love the sojourner because they are part of the vulnerable, the quartet of the vulnerable, uh, of, of people who don't have resources. And so as we welcome them, it demonstrates the God that we know. Mm-hmm. So this becomes our witness, not just to the sojourner, but also to the rest of, of, of our own community um, of, of unbelievers and of people who aren't in the church in Montgomery, Alabama, or Mount Juliet, where live, you live, know, Nashville, wherever it might be, um, that this is how we testify to who God is. And so it's like really core to our faith, whether or not we welcome people, whether or not we uh, open up our arms and our homes and our churches to people who are in need. um, That is the way that we testify to the reality of Jesus. Right. And so. Yeah, so the whole thing became very holistic for me. It, it, it moved away from just being like an evangelism strategy or a mission strategy, you know, reaching the nations that have come to us, which I think is really good and valuable and valid, and we should talk about that. But as I kept studying this biblically and as I kept encountering people and praying through it, I realized, okay, this is actually really core to my very understanding of the gospel well, and of who God is. It's not something I go do down the road as a mission strategy. It's like actually, if I don't get this right, then I'm missing – a whole lot of, of, of what salvation is. Yeah. So,
0: um, so how can, how can churches then, um, engage? Uh, I mean, we know there are thousands of people a month now, uh, coming to the border seeking asylum, uh, and, and some of those are going to be turned away because either the sheer numbers or their case is going to be deemed, uh, you know, not, not sufficient. Uh, but a, a bunch of people's cases are going to be deemed sufficient and they're going to be granted asylum, uh, which allows them into the country, uh, until their case is adjudicated. So what can churches do or, or just people of faith that there's, you know, Jew, uh, Jewish people who are listening or Islamic people who are listening, who, uh, want to be, uh, engaged, what can they do?
1: Yeah. I mean, the first thing is, is to see your own community, uh, properly. Um, you know, I, I've lived in Montgomery, Alabama. almost 20 years and, and I uh, you know, was a pastor there. I was a missional strategist with, with our Baptist Association. This was my job. This was my role, right, to kind of assess my community and figure out what's going on and help develop, you know, ways to en- engage people, groups and everything. And I, um, I did the best that I could and I was looking and I was aware. And <laughs> only this past week uh, did I realize um, or I was told that the elementary school half a block away from my house i mean literally my my street t-bones into the playground for the elementary school um is is 50 hispanic wow and and i and i didn't I, I knew that there were kids there i like i saw them walking to school but i didn't i didn't understand how many it was mm-hmm. and i never thought of maybe going to the school or maybe trying to get a church connected with the tutoring program because they're having all types of issues with translation with parents and and after hearing that immediately like five or seven ideas popped in my head about things I could have done in my own neighborhood with the school that I just wasn't, I wasn't aware I was doing other things across the road and down in another neighborhood and helping with the church plan and stuff like that. But I'm saying that just to say that even people who are really, really working at this, there are so many opportunities that are right in front of you Yeah. that, uh, you know, with people from other countries uh, and you know nationalities, people coming for work that you probably aren't aware of just because you, you don't know where to look or you're missing it or whatever. So, so um, I was on uh, um, a Skype call last night with the church from Birmingham with the leadership and we were, and they were asking the same question, what can we do with this? And I said, send somebody to the bus station uh, for the next couple of days or over the weekend or, or whatever, and just kind of camp out there and watch who's coming in. Because right now um, in May, we had 133,000 migrants that were apprehended at the border. And, and when they passed the credible fear test, they're going to churches in the um, in the border region, mm-hmm. uh, and they're there for like two days, a day or two, and then they and then they're, they're put on buses and sent to cities all over America. Um, I mean, Nashville is receiving a lot of them. Birmingham, um, you know, where this church is. So I say, go to the bus station and kind of just watch and see what's happening, and then connect with some. Uh, a community ministry or a Hispanic church, um, and then see what you know. Ask them what they're learning. Who's coming into their community, and then ask how you can help. You know, are, are there diapers that are needed? Are there, mm-hmm. um, you know, feminine hygiene supplies? I know that's a huge thing. You know, that's needed. just ways to receive people, to welcome people who are who are coming in. Um, you know, with resources and with prayer and with support. Um, and then we have on uh, Evangelical Immigration Table, we have a list of uh, of, of ministries that we've identified. I've connected with a lot of them personally through the trips to the border and other members of our team have, co- have connected as well. And, um, you know, ways that you can give financially to help and support ministries there. Um, unfortunately, uh, Southern Baptists don't have a collective effort right now. And I've been calling for that and working on that. Our missions agencies and relief agencies aren't, aren't helping us with this as far as figure out a way to be able to give and support collectively. So you have individual churches and you have little coalitions of churches that are forming, that are receiving resources and funds in El Paso and Brownsville and uh, places like that. And so we tried to, to identify some of those. Um, but, but locally, uh, Proverbs thirty one eight nine 9 is a really good passage that I use. It says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and needy. And so I, I took the word speak and turned it to an acronym um, that helps me uh, think through this. And the S stands for C. So see the immigrants in your midst, like I failed to do with the elementary school down mm-hmm. the street for me. That uh, with all of these kids from southern Mexico, immigrant kids. Um, so we need to see them. We need to see our community, which means you got to do some research and you got to work out a little bit and find out what's going on and where where immigrants are gathering and where they're coming in. And then the P stands for pray. We uh, we often start with prayer, but if you can't if you don't have any insight, it's hard to know what to pray for. So so pray about what you see and ask God to show you what to do. Um, the E stands for engage uh, with love and good deeds in the gospel. And so as you're praying, um, and as you're seeing, you know, how can, I mean, just go to somebody, you know, go to a restaurant, go to a school, go to, to wherever you see immigrants gathering and ask them, you know, what's going on and how can we help? And, and, and immigrants are incredibly open to talk about their situation and their family and their country. They'll tell you, mm-hmm. um, you know, cause they, cause they want people to know, yeah. uh, Uh, invite them into your home, sit down and have a meal, you know, uh, uh, build relationships. And then a is stands for advocate. Um, As you, after you engage with the gospel and with love and good deeds, then you realize, okay, here are problems that we can solve. And so you begin to advocate uh, for them, whether that be with resources or in your your own community or even politically. And then K is for keep going because after you've done all that, uh, there will be more people and more opportunities. And if you, if you persevere, you'll learn more and you'll, you'll see where the opportunities are. So that's been, that's been helpful for me. And I've used that in, in training and everything with, uh, with churches and, and, and people found it to be a pretty helpful model to, to go forward. So
0: this is Marty Dern. You've been listening to uncommentary. My guest today, Alan Cross, Alan, where can people find you online? You're very active on Twitter. Where else? And what's your handle on Twitter?
1: Yeah, that's probably um, that's probably the best way. Uh, that's where I, I do most stuff. Um, but it's uh, Alan L. Cross, A. L. A. N. L. C. R. O. S. S. And uh, you'll see a link there for my book, "When Heaven and Earth Collide: uh, Racism, Southern Evangelicals, and the Better Way of Jesus." And that gets into a lot of the the background behind um, why we do these things. Um, but yeah, I, uh, that's a good resource because I'm 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 always. Uh, a, uh, helping educate and put things out uh, from there if you're on Twitter. So
0: now, uh, just before we went on- online, you are on the air, I guess, uh, you mentioned a PDF that, uh, actually is what thinking biblically about immigration or something like that.
1: Yeah. So the evangelical immigration table has put together a, uh, um, a really good resource, um, called thinking biblically about immigrants and immigration reform. And, uh, the EIT is, uh, is made up of National Association of Evangelicals, Southern Baptist with the RLC, World Vision, World Relief, about 10 different groups, um, and they have, have put together their, their videos that explain it, um, and it's about a 20, I think about 28 page or, or maybe even longer um, a PDF that that gives the biblical rationale for why we should minister to immigrants and then gives practical ways that we can advocate for immigrants and speak on their behalf um, overall. So it's a it's a free download. Um, it's 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 really helpful. I, I helped. Um, I didn't write it, but I helped edit it. So I'm, I'm very familiar with what with what it says. And so would uh would highly encourage your listeners to, to check that out.
0: All right. Alan, thanks for being along commentary today. Hey, thanks for having me, Marty. Thank you for listening to Uncommentary. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. When you get a chance, if you would rate and review uh, Uncommentary in your favorite podcatcher, mostly iTunes, I guess, but uh, whichever one you use, whether it's Overcast or Podbean, if they have a rating system or review system, if you'd take a few moments to do that, that'd be awesome. It takes about ten seconds to uh, to rate and about three sentences to review. Um, doesn't not take a lot, so we're over 60 on ratings and almost to 30, I think, on reviews on iTunes. If we can get to 150, respectively, that'll be awesome. Uh, if you're interested in supporting Uncommentary financially, uh, you can do a one-time gift at PayPal.me/uncommentarypod. That's PayPal.me/uncommentarypod. Uh, if you'd like to become a patron for as little as two bucks a month, swag level three bucks a month, you can do that at Patreon patreon.com slash uncommentary that's patreon.com slash uncommentary now if you'd like to advertise and i can always use advertisers then email me marty duran at yahoo.com and i'll get you a rate sheet you can follow me on twitter at marty duran follow the podcast at uncommentary pod and tell your friends and relatives and everyone you know to listen to uncommentary till next episode this is marty duran for uncommentary Solideo gloria